0: Thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater, and I'm a senior vice president and financial advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where, along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It is my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So you've probably heard this many times, but entrepreneurship is hard, and it's not for everyone. From Silicon Valley to Boston and virtually everywhere in between, we're in a golden age of startup businesses, and they are transforming every sector of the economy. Founders are very passionate about their businesses and are willing to take great risk and, more importantly, fail. Today, we talk to one man who has taken the plunge and has great insight to share with our listeners. So today, we welcome to Financially Speaking, Dan Swift. Dan is the CEO of Empire Selling, the world's only prescriptive company-wide social selling and marketing methodology. He's going to explain that in a minute. I've known Dan from his days at LinkedIn and continue to be impressed by his hustle, his mental commitment, and of course, his British accent. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much. So I always like to take people down the road and talk about the journey. So what should our listeners know about you? Let's start about
1: you. What should they know about me? So let's start with the fact that I am English. I was born in the uh, beautiful countryside in the north of England. I studied um, at college in Newcastle, even further north, just south of the Scottish border, after graduating with a prestigious geography degree, I moved out to... <laughs> who does that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: you probably kill it on the maps. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, not, not so much. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you still use ways, no matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So a uh, uh, whole other story. And then after graduating, I moved out to uh, Australia to live there for a couple of years and then came back to the UK. I spent six years in London, so I had to posh up my accent a little bit. I was doing sales into financial services back then. And then in 2006, moved over to the U.S. So I have been in New York since 2006. I am married. I am married to a beautiful American lady. I have two children, three and a half and one. And yeah, I've been on this entrepreneurial path now for the last, let's say, three years. Mm -hmm.
0: So we're in the empire state. I figured that part out. (laughs) What is empire selling?
1: Yeah, indeed. So LinkedIn itself is actually in the empire state building. Right. And a lot of the Ah. early concepts came from that, but it's actually more than that. And we'll get into the mechanics of the methodology in a little bit. But modern day selling involves essentially good salespeople having to go pretty wide and deep into organizations that they want to sell to and build relationships and essentially build an empire within the organizations that they're selling into. So empire selling felt like uh, a good name. Well, it clearly makes
0: sense to me. So, when did you know that you had this potential business opportunity?
1: Sure. So, back at LinkedIn, I was responsible for bringing the LinkedIn Sales Navigator product to market. So, for your listeners who don't know what that is, it's a premium subscription purchased on an enterprise basis, really to help salespeople leverage the network effectively, of which there's now, on the recording of this, more than 600 million members, right? Mm. So, it was a great opportunity. And the product itself, Sales Navigator, an amazing product. We got fantastic feedback from day one. The only bit of negative feedback that kept coming back was that the product wasn't necessarily as intuitive as it could be for your typical salesperson. And feedback was can you provide training, right? Can you come in and spend time with our sales organization, get to know us, and tailor a program for us? And that was the problem because. LinkedIn didn't and doesn't have an interest in being a services business. So it felt like an opportunity to start creating something even as early as 2012 when I joined LinkedIn that I could commercialize down the road into a business, which we'll talk about on this. So sort of let's process.
0: just go back a little bit and you know take us along the road to the journey. So mm. did you come to the States with LinkedIn or?
1: No, 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 no. So I came to uh, the States with a company called Complinet, which was a Interestingly enough, a compliance and risk back office software company.
0: And we love compliance. (laughs) Let me point that out.
1: Yes, we do. Okay. So I was with those guys from 2001 in London. And then in 2006, we had a New York office, but the office wasn't performing particularly well. So the company picked myself and a couple of other sales guys and sent us over to New York on a two-year secondment to say listen, you can sell it in the UK. Try and figure if you can sell it in the US. And if you can, we know that it's more of a a people issue than a product issue. And I knew after being in New York for a couple of weeks that I wasn't going anywhere. And fortunately, we crushed it as a team in New York. And my two-year secondment turned into a green card, turned into Mm marrying an American lady, and here we are now.
0: Exactly. So... Dan and I worked together on an event with Gary Vaynerchuk, who's sort of a mutual friend and mentor to both of us. Gary's a serial entrepreneur, if you don't know him. He owns a, a company, VaynerMedia, and we had spoke to James Orsini of that company earlier on in, in the show. But Gary always talks about that you have to hold yourself to your word, that your word is bond, I bet you you agree with that one. (laughs) I I do.
1: (laughs) And a thousand percent, even before the days of social media, that's just a good business thing to do, right? And and just in life as well. But in the world of social media, then anything that you say good, bad, or indifferent can get amplified at scale, right? So um, not only should you be a good human being and hold your word and be accountable, but if you don't, then that can you can see the ripple effects pretty quickly on social media. Yeah, trust is everything,
0: of course, and establishing that trust. And, you know, building a business uh, is also, Dan, a huge time commitment. You're married, you have two kids. Especially in your first year, because I think that's where people struggle the most. How were you able to balance that?
1: So it was actually easier than you might think, but because it was this whole business has been a work in progress, I've had a lot of time to think about it. So going into my first year, a lot of the heavy lifting had actually already been done. So when you think about what I've been doing prior to launching officially, I've been testing curriculum, ideas, content with the public, right? I've been doing boot camps in the evening. I've been doing weekend sessions, and I've been learning a lot over the last two, three years while I was gainfully employed, right? right, And obviously the people that were employing me knew I was doing this and they essentially said, listen, if you're going to do it externally, just make sure you bring it internally and train our sales organization, our marketing organization and and share whatever you learn, which was great. It's a great, you know, win-win. Sure. So when I launched this business full time, a lot of that learning and testing had already taken place. So
0: once you've started the launch, it's day one, (laughs) you've put the name, you know, Mm -hmm. out on the door. Yeah. How did you get your first customer?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. So actually going into my first year, I had my first customers, ah, right? That's so, always a um, smart move. so I'd done a few events. Mm-hmm. I'd, um, I'd already got that buying intent and that commitment to do things with me, but I wasn't going to do that officially while I was still gainfully employed. That wouldn't have been ethical. But going into the, you know literally day one, January one, well, January two, mm-hmm. the contracts were signed and I was up and running. But it was again, it was really interesting because, in terms of marketing my business and telling the world what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff, that is the power of social media. That is the power of LinkedIn. Because I remember it vividly. I, uh, I was busy just like, putting pictures up on the walls in of my office in January, thinking, what the heck is this going to be? And then, literally, I put a post out on the third or fourth of January saying, hey, network, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Here's a picture of the office that I'm going to be in. And it got something like 250,000 views on LinkedIn. So talk about viral, you know, that marketing. That is incredibly yes.
0: viral, obviously. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, like you said, you didn't just wake up and open up the ice cream parlor. Sure. I mean, you had been making ice cream for years. You had the milk, you had the sugar, you had, you know, you had all the ingredients and you had customers and you had the public and you had tested these things. I think we talked mm-hmm. about a little bit before. how do you test it in advance really to understand if it's gonna work when it's yours?
1: No, sure. So a couple of things. The first thing, and I guess I should explain a little bit more about even why I saw an opportunity. And as a salesperson myself and as a sales leader, for years I was sensing and feeling that it was harder and harder and harder to have the same level of success doing what I was doing with the more traditional forms of selling and sales outreach and cold calling and that sort of stuff. And as that was happening, fortunately, I was at LinkedIn. So my two things collided. I was seeing it was harder and harder and harder. And then I landed at LinkedIn and LinkedIn had a solution. So I learned a as I kind of went through that process. And then the learnings, I fortunately was able to test with the public, like I said, doing these Mm -hmm. workshops, but also internally at the company that was employed me previously. There's a company called Sprinkler. So I was doing new hire classes. I was doing work with the executives, teaching them what they could and should be doing on social media. I always had my own sales organization initially as a frontline manager and then as a second-line manager and then as a VP. So at all the different times over a three-year period, I had an opportunity to test anything and everything that I thought I might want to build curriculum around Mm -hmm. and fortunately everything I tested and tried was working pretty well so it was a lot of heavy lifting then right now it's all about execution and and we'll talk a little bit about how I'm going to scale this thing but yeah yeah I want to get to that in a second
0: but uh, you know obviously you're not going to give away the secret Hmm. sauce but I want to talk a little bit about the methodology and what's so unique about it Mm -hmm. and why so many fortune 500 companies are you know, kind of banging your door down over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. So you think about some of those massive Fortune 500 companies, right? Well, Fortune 50, fortunately for me, they've got massive sales organizations and they need to keep making sure that they're being productive and successful, right? And sadly, for a lot of those people in those sales organizations, the traditional methods are not working. So the methodology that I have, bearing in mind all the data supports this, is that buyers want a human touch, right? They do not want to be cold call. They don't want to be interrupted every single day by people they don't know. And ideally, they want to be referred someone who can add trust out of the gate immediately. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Because if you think about what LinkedIn actually is, most people when they join LinkedIn, they upload a a resume or a CV And it's written and designed in such a way for you to get a job or to appeal to a recruiter or a hiring manager or something like that. So you write about all your accomplishments and your bullet points and the things that you've done. And you think about how would a buyer feel when they read about that, you know, all your performance against quota and going to president's club and you're a hard closer and you crush your number and all. It's just a massive turnoff. So when I was at LinkedIn, I launched this program called Resume to Reputation. And it was all about how should a salesperson present themselves to the world in essentially a customer first way. So when a buyer looks at it, all they're reading about is that salesperson's rich history of helping people just like them achieve their goals. And it started there. And that was the first kind of building block, if you will. And it's kind of developed from that.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you said Human Touch. Uh, as a big Bruce Springsteen fan, mm-hmm. uh, it's still one of my favorite songs. And if I was allowed to, I would play the song right now, folks. <laughs> so we would just put the turntable and go back to it and go back to my DJ days. But we're here to talk about
1: business. So you're talking about scaling already? Mm-hmm. So it's gotten to a point now where right now it's me with people who support me in all the functional areas that I'm not good at, PR, marketing, that kind of stuff. But yeah, we've signed some Pretty large companies with some pretty large time commitments on my side of things, and they've signed me. So what I need to do now is hire, and again, maybe there's people out there listening, I need to hire some folk who are good salespeople, who get social selling and get a a modern and human approach to salespeople, are good human beings, are wired ethically the right way, but also who can train and that's been really interesting where I'm finding fantastic salespeople who have no experience and no interest in training people. They are very separate. <laughs> yeah, As someone who's right? done both yeah. throughout my
0: career, they're two very
1: different yeah. things. And then there's fantastic trainers who are not great salespeople. So I'm at a point now where I've found a couple of folk from my network who um, I think will be great. And that will solve for the immediate requirement that I have. But I don't want this to be a huge sales organization. I don't want that. This is going to be something that I'm going to scale through think of uh, the whole um, certification model, right? So folks who are trainers externally will come to Empire, they'll learn the methodology, they'll get certified in it, they'll be allowed to go sell those programs, and then little old me will take a cut of all of the programs that they sell. That's going to be the highly likely approach that we're going to take.
0: And one of the things that's really fascinating, and you and I talked about this a few months ago, is that you really haven't Done anything really proactive outreach out there? And you know, you've got some really fantastic numbers in the first 15 16 months yeah no for sure and for context right i mean i'll just say why do you think that is what's the key to being able to get that done
1: so forget social media for a right. second what it actually comes back to is being a good human being and i'll explain it by way of story so um my father lives in uh, in the cayman islands and um my wife and i and the kids went out to visit him and we were having dinner one evening and my dad said to me kind of a little bit out of the blue so how's work going and i was a bit caught off guard and i said oh, i was going pretty well you know um and gave some sort of half answer and my wife actually jumped in and she said actually i'm just going to tell you exactly how it's going it's going brilliantly. And I'll tell you why it's going brilliantly, because Dan has been a good human being to every single person he's ever met with in his life. And people remember how you make them feel. So from the new starter and intern at an organization, through to admins who have helped schedule meetings, through to salespeople who have worked for me, sales leaders who have been peers, executives who I've worked for, I've just tried whenever I can to just go out on my way to help them be successful. And people have remembered that. So when I launched this business, and I put that post out on LinkedIn to tell the world what I'm doing, I couldn't handle the volume (laughs) of inbound leads coming in. It literally was unwieldy. And then I've done gigs and um, people have told other leaders about them. And then they've come to me and saying, hey, I heard you've done work at X company. Can you help us out? And again, I haven't spent one dollar on marketing, like literally no money, actually not true. Mm -hmm. I spent 2000 bucks on a ton of empire selling black t-shirts. Exactly. (laughs) Which I'm proud of. I'm not wearing today, but I do have one. But that literally is it. And why did I do it? Because uh, again, my wife is the brains of the operation. She said to me, um, you need to have something that when you do these events, after you've done the event, if the people at the event feel as though you've helped them become more productive and successful in return, have them put on a t-shirt, take a photo, pop it on LinkedIn." let it go viral. And again, the beauty of social media is it's free advertising.
0: So here we are in 2019. If we were sitting, eh, not even that long ago, let's just go back 25 years, really. And you know, could you
1: launch a business
0: like this without marketing? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't go back 25 years. I go back 20 years. But I remember when I first started my first sales job and I was given a green book I was selling to insurance agents and brokers. And I was selling to the compliance and risk folk at those organizations. Many of much of the time it was part of their job back mm-hmm. then. And my, my learning, my, my onboarding was, here's your list of leads go call them. Mm-hmm. And we had, back then, we had marketing, right? We weren't doing particularly sophisticated marketing. There's a lot of snail mail going on. But yeah, we needed to market, absolutely. Well, you know.
0: absolutely. I started in this position in 1987, right after the stock market crash, actually, with this you know, huge cardboard list of mm-hmm. leads that was just sort of handed to me. And folks, they were not leads, they were just names of people mm-hmm. <laughs> who actually were alive and breathing, and you would call them, and I realized early on that that was not for me and found other ways of marketing and communication that existed in the late 80s, early 90s, but something like LinkedIn today is the greatest, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying this because Stan's here, LinkedIn is kind of the greatest gift to the global sales force you know, that the internet has brought. Yeah. Which is why Microsoft was smart and bought
1: it. (laughs) For sure. With a caveat, if they know how to use it in the right way. Right, that is true. Yes, that's part of what we solve for a large part. But because of folks who don't know how to use it well... They've made it a little harder for the ones who really want to try because you think of um, a simple dynamic, right? LinkedIn back in 2012, if you buy a premium subscription, you can message people you don't know X number of times per month. And unfortunately, that channel has become really, really busy with really below average outreach from salespeople. And so the recipients, the buyers, are not particularly happy about it and, and it's not as an effective channel. So that's why the training now, if you learn how to do the things that you should do well... On LinkedIn, then you have an opportunity to just turn a career around if it's going the wrong way or just take yourself to the next level if you are already going in that trajectory. Mm. So,
0: you know, you're an entrepreneur now, so mm-hmm. got enough experience. How to give us a little bit of the ups and the downs.
1: Yeah. So, in all honesty, there haven't been that many downs, which is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And a good thing, thank sure. goodness. And, and, and it's important to have that support network as well, which I do have. I, I've built up a, a network of not just friends, but also peers who I can lean on if I feel as though something might be going the wrong way. Often in sales, the downs come with lost deals and that kind of stuff. Again, fortunately, I haven't been proactively reaching out to people, so I don't feel as I've lost any deals yet which is a blessing I think as an entrepreneur you've got to be mentally strong there's a lot of time when you're first starting out where you are on your own and you've got to be okay with that and I'll be very candid with you. I've had years and years of counseling, and I've gotten to know myself through that process really well. And I think that's given me a competitive advantage because I know myself really well. I know my strengths, but I also know my uh, areas of opportunity. Yes, which is a great
0: way of putting it. <laughs> right? but, but self-knowledge is, oh, for is sure sure to me has helped me the most in my business life, in my personal life, in my social media life. Sure. You really have to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are and what works for you. Yeah. what so works for, you know, I'm going to bring up Gary Vaynerchuk again, you know, bring up one of his quotes is, hustle is the most important word ever.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I'm sure you agree yeah. and you are working very hard, but you make it very clear that you have to develop a balance. Yeah.
1: So. For sure. And I, I do agree with it, again, with a caveat. Sure. So so my typical day, just to give you an idea of how I think of hustle, it's working smart. So my typical day is taking my kid to school, or one of my kids to school, every single day, and then I'll scoot, because I'm here in New York City, I've got mm. an electric scooter, so I'll scoot from his school up to my office, to my space, and I'll normally start work about 930 and then I'm on my own, I'm on it, I'm working hard, and then I'm done by 4, 4.30, and I'm home playing with the kids. But then I pick it up again when the kids have gone to sleep, if my wife's out, and I'll you know, I work into the evening. So it's working at a times when I want to work mm-hmm. and when I know I'm going to be most productive. But it's also, and a lot of entrepreneurs maybe listening to this will agree, you're always on. So you're always present with your kids and you're always absolutely, you know, involved in whatever they want to be doing, but I'm always, always thinking too about certain things that maybe I could do differently or I could be creating or what I should and could be doing with the business. So you've got to have that mental toughness, but you've got to have that balance, but no, you're always going to be, always You're
0: the boss. You know, this is everything, you know, you decide that you're just not going to care. Well, (laughs) you know, you're not going to get paid. So, you know, it never goes away. And, And every entrepreneur that I've met over the years that I've worked with always, said the same thing is that, you know, I think about it on the weekends. I think about it all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I know when I'm present with my kids and I'm involved in whatever I'm doing in my life, that's fine. But on those down times, I am thinking about the business because that's my baby. That's really, you know, it's another child.
1: It's so true. But it's also, so obviously I know a ton of entrepreneurs now in the New York network and some of them find it really stressful being an entrepreneur. And they tell me the reason is, and it's taken them time to figure it out, but it's because they're not necessarily personally passionate about what their business does or what they're solving for, and when you're not, that becomes more of a job, right than a passion like I have. And for me, yes, social selling is a huge passion for me, but the the end result of what we're doing is we're making salespeople more productive and successful, and the ripple effect for that is that they earn more money, more commission, which allows them to provide for their family more effectively. So for me, that is what drives me. It's the end result of that. Plus, you think on the customer side, if you're getting better service from salespeople and you're getting more value from salespeople because of this approach that they're leveraging and learning, then that's goodness too. So when you're super passionate about all of those things and the end result, obviously financially is fantastic, but the end result, the softer side is what really drives you. It's win-win.
0: Yeah. Well, it has to be. It has to be. And so before I let you go, we have a lot of people on LinkedIn that that are listening. Give us one LinkedIn tip that most people
1: <laughs> miss. So I think the biggest one outside of the one I've already given you around right. the profile piece. right. In every single training I ever do, I always say anytime you have any form of meaningful personal, or business interaction, connect with that person on LinkedIn. It has to become just habitual, just routine, right? And again, I'll give you a perfect example. And the reason, by the way, is it, you just do not know who knows who. Like the world is ridiculously connected to them in the most weird and wonderful ways. And because of LinkedIn, you're able to see relationships and leverage them accordingly. Again, quick story to kind of wrap that one up, is I did an event up in Boston recently. Actually, it was in Cape Cod. Flew into Boston, and then got an Uber from Boston down to Cape Cod. And you might have got the idea now, listeners, that I'll talk to anyone about anything. And I started talking to my Uber drive, and sure. it's a 90-minute trip. It's so
0: Plenty of time. That's so a long in, trip. Into in the, the summer, it could be four <laughs> hours. There you
1: go. So, so in the last 30 minutes, you move the conversation from small talk, obviously. You get into family and whatnot. Mm. And he mentioned that his daughter was in sales, he was very proud of her, and we didn't have much time to really get into it too much, but he said that she lived down in California. Literally two weeks later, prospecting, I'm looking, when I I say prospecting, I'm looking at companies on LinkedIn and I'm seeing who knows who. And the chief revenue officer is a lady out in San Francisco in Silicon Valley. And the only shared connection that I had with her was my Uber driver. So you can probably see where this is going, right? Oh, yes. So, so I texted my Uber driver because that's what I do. I get the numbers because, again, I'm, uh, I like to connect with people in all wonderful ways. And I texted him and said, listen, I see that you're connected to, I'll leave the name out of it. How well do you know her? And he said, pretty well. She's my daughter. <laughs> so so because we had had a 90-minute conversation on wow. a very human level, and then he introduced me to that her, and she's the just, chief revenue officer. That is just incredible. And our know? company, but
0: you know, people, you may call it luck, you make your own luck. Mm -hmm. And the hustle that you've done, the experience that you've had, this entrepreneurial spirit, the risk that you've taken in your life coming over to a new country and getting settled here and just everything that every step that you've taken. And now this kind of giant leap for you is working out. It's working out not just because of luck, because of, you know, the brain. So to quote that great philosopher, or maybe maybe even a future guest on this show, Yoda. When it comes to starting your own business, I don't know if I should do the Yoda voice. Do I do the Yoda yes, voice? Yes, you do the Yoda. Absolutely. Keep trying. Do or do not. There is no try.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's just too good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. <laughs>
0: I just love that quote, so I had to throw it in there somewhere. It just seemed to make sense. But thank you, Dan Swift from Empire Selling for gracing our studio today. And we will link more information because we want every one of you to connect with Dan and see how Empire Selling might be able to help you. So there will be a little uh, link to Dan right there. And I also want to send a thank you to Resonate Recording for all the post-production on this episode. And thank you for listening. And please subscribe and stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of more exciting guests uh, coming up in the next few months. And remember folks, no matter what, pay yourself first.